0: HVAC 360 is brought to you today by... Hey, it's your old pal Merv from Filter City. Letting you know that we have some great back-to-school savings in store for you. We got you covered for all your filter needs. We got everything from air filters, coffee filters, and noise filters. We even stock both kinds of bag filters, paper and plastic. And don't you know that we got all them Merv filters you've been hearing about? What's that you say? HIPAA? Ooh! got got 'em. Our filters come in all sizes and thicknesses, two, two and a half, whatever it takes. We even stock air filter accessories, like those little arrows you see on the side of filters that tell the air which way to go. Ooh, buddy, don't you mess that one up or your system will get all backed up like it ate ten pounds of cheese. So get on over here today and tell 'em your old pal Merv sent you. Filter City. We got filters, and that's it. Yee! here thanks for sticking around because that pre-ad was was certainly over the top but i had a lot of fun uh i'm your host for hvac 360 helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of hvac and i do that by delivering curated content for you to consume your way when you want it because let's face it we're all super busy and the last thing we need to do is to have our plan our day around another webinar all right, so let's get our learning on and listen up while I dish out some relevant HVAC information, lessons learned, and have a conversation today with an industry expert. Uh, if all this doesn't wet your whistle, you can always sign up for my weekly newsletter or subscribe to my YouTube channel. All right, so what's up for this week? It is back to school time. So this week I'm talking to Mr. Raj Seti. Uh, he's a principal over at Seti, uh, which is a firm offering high quality mechanical electrical plumbing. Fire protection, commissioning, and energy services—yes, pretty much all oh, the whole ball of wax. If you need, if you need some thought going into your building, any design, um, you know, call up the people at SETI. I think they probably pretty much have you covered. So we talk about schools and what they can do to increase the safety of students uh, and staff, but uh, really, you know, this is a common sense this is all common sense stuff. and the stuff that we touch on today really can go beyond schools and be really applied to any type of building. I think that you'll like his approach and recommendations, so I'm excited. And uh, you know I really, as much as we you know joke about things constantly changing, um and it's really hard to believe sometimes. Uh, as Raj mentioned in the interview, we did get an update uh, from Ashray HQ that the guidelines we're talking about, the COVID guidelines, um, have been updated. Surprise. So check out the show notes for all those links um, to that. All right. Well, enough of that. Let's cut to the tape and listen to our conversation with Raj Setty. <laughs> All right, today we're talking with uh, Mr. Raj Seti, who's a principal over at Seti. How are you doing today, Raj?
1: Doing well, doing well. Pretty excited. Hey,
0: you know, can you tell me a little bit about uh, your a little, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Seti as
1: a uh, a firm? Sure. I uh, grew up in the Washington D.C. area, and then went to college out at uh, UC Davis, <clears throat> and. I did have the ability way back then to, uh, you know, I had three job offers leaving college, uh, a small company called Yahoo, another small company called E-Trade, and then a, a big, huge corporation called uh, URS. So I went with the big, huge corporation. And then little did I know that that would lead to the path where I am today. UC Davis was kind of a feeder school for Silicon Valley back in the 90s, early 90s. From there, I uh, joined the Peace Corps was a volunteer teacher in Southern Africa, a country called Namibia, came back to the U.S., worked in a construction company, then shipped off to the Marshall Islands to work in Kwajalein for U.S. Space and Missile Defense Command, and another small stint doing a mountain bike electrification production line in Taiwan, then finally ended up back in the D.C. area to work with my folks in their MEP engineering firm. And that's what brings us to us today.
0: So uh, tell us a little bit more about this uh, engineering firm, this,
1: uh, SETI. So SETI handles everything in the built environment. So we'll do anything from schools to hospitals to labs to higher ed to data centers to stadiums. And we recently just finished the Wizards training facility, which has been a pretty good project. So anything you don't see in a building, we handle the mechanical systems, plumbing, fire protection, fire detection. And then uh, about 10 years ago, we started heavily into the commissioning and a forensic engineering division, which starts to troubleshoot uh, operationally what's going on with buildings uh, from heavily from a software side as well. And then we've expanded. We're at eight offices now uh, up and down the East Coast, and we have an office overseas as well for some of our work in Australia and the Middle East.
0: Now uh, you are a part of Ashray's uh, was a task force committee uh, for the COVID nineteen guidelines. How how did you
1: get involved with that? So Ashray is just a wonderful nonprofit organization, full of I think it's around sixty thousand engineers and scientists. I've been involved for almost 20 years now as just a member and then about 10 years ago I joined a technical committee, Educational Facilities 9.7. These technical committees, they focus on certain sectors, certain building types and certain systems. From that, um, my involvement in that they did ask for volunteers for the epidemic task force specialization for schools. So I did volunteer at that. There's There's probably about 15 of us who talk and put out a lot of content every week. And that's been fairly um, rigorous and uh, extremely rewarding.
0: Now, for anybody who's not uh, familiar with these guidelines, what are are
1: some of the highlights that uh, are in there? So as scientists have basically come to the conclusion that the virus is airborne, now we start to move into the application. So how do we handle it? And this is where organizations like ASHRAE put the guidelines together on uh, helping to adjust your building systems, helping you to reopen uh, in a common sense way. Nothing is going to stop 100% of the virus transmission, but there are a lot of things we can do in the indoor air quality to start to make them better. So things like increasing your filtration, increasing your fresh air, deploying technology like ultraviolet C uh, radiation to stop the replication of the virus in the airstream. So someone like a CDC or a NIST or an EPA is going to say, improve your ventilation, and then Ashrate will tell you how much. How much do you need to bring in? What percentage? How long to run it? So we get more into the specifics and the details Um, for the guidelines. And then that's given to your local professional engineer to execute.
0: Now, a lot of these things, I mean, we're talking about the built environment. A lot of these things may be similar from, you know, commercial buildings to uh, institutional buildings. What, What are some of the things that are unique to schools that you see?
1: So one of the challenges with schools is going to be the proximity Of different age groups and also um, the time in the same space. And then, as you start to have the modulation of, you know, eight hours of a kid in a classroom, do they go to a cafeteria? Do they go to a gym? So that starts to become a very complicated system as far as the airflow goes. So, when we do designs for, let's say, fresh air, the The really good designs have a dedicated outside air system that monitors the carbon dioxide of the students. And so that basically simulates where they are. So if they move from a classroom into a corridor, into a science lab, we can turn on that fresh air into the science lab and we can turn it off in the classroom since it's unoccupied by measuring the carbon dioxide. So as we do that, the challenges of virus mitigation. Uh, can we apply some of those same strategies, or do we just flush everything with fresh air? And then, do we have the capacity to do that? So you don't see as much of that um, mixed use type of space in office buildings.
0: Now I know. Um, are there any sort of uh, unique spaces as well? I mean, maybe the uh, you know what about you know how do you how do you handle
1: um, the, um, like the nurse's office? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the main things is when a child raises their hand and says, I feel sick efficiently moving them to a nurse's suite and then protecting that nurse who is, um, you know, it's probably just an administrator in some of the smaller schools, Uh, the bigger schools do have a dedicated nurse, And then making sure that they can gear up, they can walk in, see how that child's doing as that parent is called to pick them up. One of the challenges is to separate from an HVAC standpoint and isolate that nurse's suite so nothing gets re-entrained back into the the main air handlers. I'm seeing a lot of um, schools and jurisdictions, they have The separation of the room uh, physically, uh, we have a nurse's suite, but there's a return up in the ceiling, pulling it all back into the plenum and then eventually pulling it back in, redistributing it into the building. The last thing we want is if a child is sick, the probability is higher that they may have something and then having that redistributed back out. So we know how to design those following ASHRAE 170 guidelines, um, treating it, these single spaces, as an infectious isolation room. We know how to do that with 100% fresh air, having the ability to go up to 12 air changes, and then keeping it under negative pressure, and then scrubbing that air as it goes out. So that's one of the unique challenges in spaces, and I do believe that it needs to get built in uh, it doesn't have to be in the building. It could be a temporary building outside, like a temporary type classroom. And then we just need to start running metrics of how many kids do you want. If you have a 500 person population school, do you want nurses suites for five one percent? So thinking through those metrics, it's going to take some data and benchmarking as we get there. Now,
0: right now, I, I can I can envision that is something that you know I mean typically. Every school will have a space that has been programmed for that. But I think, you know, as we've seen in the, uh, the pandemic, I, I think, you know, finding a space that you can actually do this and it might not necessarily be, you know, next to the office. So you might have some place, like you said, it, it can be outside or it could be, you know, at a specific location in the building where um, the administration can kind of set up. Uh, the ability to, you know, uh, provide an isolation space. Right. So now, I mean, in, in talking about, you know, schools in general, obviously, you know, a bunch of these recommendations. Are there any other recommendations that are easier to implement than others?
1: Sure. The changing a filter to most schools' systems on the terminal units will probably have what's called a MERV 6 or a MERV eight filters, some even have no filters. So seeing what the highest level of filtration you can put in there, working with that unit manufacturer, if you can get to a MERV 13, that's going to be the ideal. So those are simple operational changes. Change the filter. If you start to feel um, a degradation in performance, whether it's base temperature, uh, airflow, then go back to the previous filter. Since we're going to have a lot of unique um, operational population occupancy constraints i mean if a classroom's half occupied we actually don't need all the same amount of uh, cooling or heating so just change the filter apply the common sense and see what you can start to get um, working and we just are going to have to kind of test through it so if changing filters is the first one then starting to increase your percentage of outside air to whatever the unit's rated for and then starting to do it temporarily with running it longer before or after uh, class <clears throat> and that way we're able to dump more fresh air and dilute the space so
0: it's one of those things that I, I guess you know if we have these recommendations and we are giving them to you know, our clients um it's something that it's not like just do this and forget about it it's it's do this and keep an eye on on, on some of the effects, because, I mean, even though that we can calculate uh, a lot of things, you know, additional pressure drop, you know, affecting performance, um, it's uh, not necessarily one of those things that, um, you know, it, it's going to be
1: exactly correct. That's right. One of the main th- things we're asking our clients is just do a t- test and balance just see what you have. The drawings are going to have been designed for, But like everything, equipment performance changes over time. And, uh, you know, you have diminished airflow. So see what you have, then work with an HVAC engineer, an ASHRAE certified, or a PE and say, okay, now what adjustments can I make to my systems? And I think one of the biggest things that I try to stress is just apply common sense. We don't If anyone tells you to gut your whole system and put in a new one, then you know that's not feasible. That's not a good answer. So just go ahead and get things that are common sense, stick to those three principles, dilution, filtration, disinfection. And then at some point, these projects need to be applicable for either future viruses or the simplest thing is just to make sure the indoor air quality is at a higher level. And those studies, there's, Plenty of them showing more fresh air and uh, better indoor air quality is more conducive to learning. So at least we can lean on that. I don't see much of a downside to having better indoor air quality, period, except for operational energy expense. Right.
0: And, you know, I I guess owners have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, the systems that are in their facilities are designed for that typical design day, uh, nine times out of ten. Um, so that there is some, some wiggle room. So if you can, you can play with it, it, it should be okay. Right. So now I guess when you, you, you take a look at, um, you know, these guidelines and, and, you know, granted everything about this is changing on a daily basis. It seems, um, is, was there any sort of, you know, feedback mechanism put in place for the guidelines, um, or is that on a, on a roadmap, for the guideline developments, that they're kind of go around and maybe um, kind of improve or change depending on some feedback that they get uh, from implementation or lessons learned uh, from you know different facilities.
1: The guidelines they're all up on uh, ashray.org, and there's four, I believe, main kind of components: the schools, commercial buildings, um, the the filtration and disinfection team. And uh, there's one other, I think it's the maintenance team. So as the guidelines hit the population and people start to review them and implement them, they do send, we're at hundreds, if not thousands of questions that come back into Ashray, And then those are sorted through and um, Ashray does answer them. Where the guidelines? We're, we're at the point, more guidelines or updated versions were released uh, even just today. But we're at the point now where we need to be asking the question, is it working? And what adjustments do I need to make? How do I define that success? So what I tell my clients is is we're going to start to put in particulate monitors. I can't tell you if the virus is in the airstream, but I can tell you what particles are getting through the filters, the size. If I know the virus is 10 microns and I'm monitoring for anything above 10 microns that gives me a higher probability level of confidence that my filtration is working. I can start to now monitor the fresh air. Of course, I'm gonna tell you, the guidelines will tell you to put more fresh air in. Now we need to start to see, is it actually getting distributed to the different areas of a classroom, not just of our main mechanical systems. So those are things that we have to now start to shift into. Is it working? What adjustments do I need to make? And it's gonna be heavy controls.
0: Now that is um, when we talk about you know ten microns. Um, that's if I'm getting this right, um, the PM10 um, detection right. of, as far as particle size, which is which okay. is pretty standard. I mean, there's the the 2.5, the PM2.5 for fine particulate matter, and then there's the the next step up would be the the PM10. So that's really what we're focusing on, um, yep. or that you're suggesting. Okay.
1: So if you can't change the filters because of the pressure drop, then you need to start looking at things like bipolar ionization to improve your filter efficiency and start looking at different technologies. And then we know our filters are working. But that's where we've got to now start to shift. As we as the changes and game plans are being deployed, now we got to know if it's actually working. I don't want to hear from a school system let like my kids go to yeah, we changed the filters. That's fine. I expect that. That's the base minimum. That's a simple change. Now I want to see if they're working properly. Right. So now,
0: um, you know, for, from a, a firm standpoint, you know, you have uh, have you started
1: using these guidelines with your own clients? We developed um, two different tools. One's called a CABA report. So a clean air building assessment. So the clients send us their HVAC plans. We know their current operating fresh air schemas. We know which pieces of equipment they have, and then that starts to give us the ability to tell them what to now do as far as adjustments or projects. If you've got a building with a 100% fresh air system, we have a lot more levers. We may say run the fresh air system at a lower set point or a higher set point in the winter, almost pre-cool it or preheat it before everyone comes in. And so that gives us some lag, so We don't need to recirculate as much air. And that way that really helps to flush it out. Like I said, we know what to do at hospitals. There's good uh, history on HVAC design. So we don't uh, spread uh, viruses amongst different patient rooms or uh, infection rooms. So we're gonna apply that same mindset to there. So now the company has shifted to- To that, And then the next thing we've now developed, which will come out actually tomorrow, is a um, probability of infection based on the Wells-Riley equation that we've developed. And so you, as a user, will start to adjust time, square footage, uh, number of people in a classroom, the type of filtration, and then you start to get a probability. So we use that as kind of a decision-making tool with clients at a high level as they need to start to get Project Shovel ready. Right.
0: Now, I I guess in when investigating some of these modifications, you know, I guess what what's kind of surprises you? Are there anything that, you know, was unexpected that you saw?
1: Beyond surprising, it's more just the the disappointment that ventilation isn't more uh, front and center. So once it's airborne, then it's a pretty straightforward straight line to now let's start really, really focusing on the HVAC. I saw an article in the Atlantic just last week saying ventilation, why is no one talking about it? And the, the lack, it's a very boring subject. And I know HVAC engineers are not held in, uh, they're not like movie stars or anything, which is fine, but we do have the ability to actually impact and make some changes in that indoor air environment. But the focus is very heavily still on sanitation in classrooms on masks in classrooms and social distancing in classrooms. And that has its purpose for the first level of contact, but no matter what we do, if I sit in a room, we'll take a dorm room, and if my dorm mate is infected, it doesn't matter what I do, after eight hours, after 12, after 48 hours, the likelihood of me getting infected, it's pretty high. So we know it's in the air. So if we can centralize it, and pick it up, which we can with HVAC systems, then now let's focus on stopping all migration at the air, get get pure air coming through, for lack of a better term. Disinfect, kill everything in that airstream. So that's kind of where I think the, the focus has to become.
0: Now, you know, I know, I mean, when we talk about hospitals, I mean, obviously, the the you know, and we talk about filters. You're you're gonna you're gonna stumble upon HEPA filters. Now, I guess, what are your thoughts um, about you know the usage of HEPA filters um, even as like a standalone system? Because I know in in the investigations that I've done, I I, I see this kind of um, I guess uh, conflict between um, you know adding more air to a space and stirring things up um you know i mean when we talk about it you know an uh, operating room you talk about you know linear diffusion it's everything's kind of just straight down over the patient and then out and return to the the unit so you don't get a lot of mixing in spaces like that um but you know this is this is contrary to what we've typically done for hvac systems so um what are some of your thoughts around that
1: it's true. So the mixing is a good point. Operating room design is it's very laminar, coming straight down. Now, try to apply um, HVAC laminar flow design in a classroom with thirty kids who are going to be moving around. At the base minimum, going in a pre-K, they're going to go to the bathroom. It'll be hard to stop that movement. So moving into the HEPA filtration, it's almost impossible to retrofit um, a lot of the existing terminal units or some of the VAV uh, air handler systems with HEPA. They just, this too high of a pressure drop. So then the secondary um, solution will be, can you put in portable units? There are two by four uh, grid system units that you can put above the teacher's uh, area. You can put it above the entrance. There is no downside for cleansing the air with uh, more HEPA. There's HEPA and UVC systems that you can deploy as far as most air distribution in classrooms it's typically either unit vents or um, supply high return high there's there's not much uh, between there so we don't have it designed for any kind of laminar flow at this point they're designed to diffuse and mix as across the whole classroom so that's kind of where we're moving towards that. So I like the idea of putting in some portables as a um, middle ground and giving some psychological benefit to maybe a teacher. I have one sitting in my office right now. So it uh, when I have someone who comes in and cleans it, that I just run it for a couple hours. I get my air changes in there. So I
0: guess, how does this, you know, kind of moving forward, how how does this and what we've learned in the pandemic change the way we approach uh, systems design?
1: So I think with the systems design, if I'm an engineer, we need to put in more effort on the control sequences to give the building operators the ability to flush the building. So stop the recirc. And then just overpressurize, send in as much fresh air as you can. If the future calls for kids sitting in a classroom for two hours and then they shift to another classroom and we leave that classroom fallow and just get air changes like we do with operating rooms. Then we need to have the HVAC systems in that local area, be able to do that, not recircuit, but just pump it full of fresh air dilute it, and get that. You know, twelve air changes, so all that air is rotated out. So HVC design, as you start thinking about that, that needs to be one of the strategies to get the purification of the air at a higher level. It may be doing it with UVC. It may be doing it with MERV thirteen filters. You know, lead standards call for MERV thirteen. So that's always that's already kind of behind us on the heavier filters. We're doing that, and now we need to really take a hard look at some of the distribution in classrooms maybe supply high return low and um, not just looking for the lowest cost it is going to take some time to get the right systems in place uh, but starting to talk about that is where we need to begin now
0: perfect so now i guess we've we've talked a lot uh, uh, about a lot of things um is there anything that we didn't cover that uh, you feel uh, that people should know
1: the biggest thing is to as from a from a parent standpoint is just get into the details of what's going to happen uh, for the non-hvac sanitizing routines. So in some of the school systems their plan is to fog the classroom between classes. So if a class runs for 45 minutes, they're going to set off a um, there's a lot of companies out there that are creating these sanitation fogs and sprays And then that um, will then kill something like 99% of the deposited uh, viruses. So that's great. However, when I read the literature, I see that they will keep working for up to seven days. So then there is a little bit of concern with how does that impact the respiratory tract of children. So we just, one of the guiding principles of ASHRAE is just do no harm. So we don't want to now come and bleach everything, over bleach it. And then all of a sudden, um, all these classrooms just smell like a hospital after it's been sanitized. So we have to have that balance and not go too far in one extreme. Um, And I'm all about focusing on the air systems as that middle ground to make sure, because we can detect it. You can get real numbers from it. Um, everyone can say I've killed 99%, but like I told you before, let's just measure the particulate count. And that gives us a hard number to see what's working and what's not working.
0: All right. Fantastic. Well, Raj, I appreciate your time, uh, for sitting down and talking with us and a lot of great stuff.
1: All right. Good questions. Appreciate you, uh, reaching out as well.
0: Hey, we're back. Uh, thanks for... Thanks so much to Raj uh, for taking the time out of his schedule to talk with us. And uh, really uh, also thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen. Um, I hope this was helpful, and I hope that you learned something. As always, show notes can be found over at HVAC360.com slash 165. If you know somebody looking to step up their HVAC game, consider sharing this episode another one of your favorites. With them, this really is by far the best thing you can do about spreading the word about the podcast. Uh, Go over and subscribe over at HVAC360.com for a weekly dose of the written word, or browse on over to their YouTube channel and subscribe if video is more to your liking. Lastly, I'd be greatly honored if you'd consider consider leaving me a rating review over at Apple Podcasts. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.